Welcome to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression, where we will dig into discussions about mood disorders. We're here to change the way we think and talk about depression in an accessible, approachable way with a leading expert in the field. No topic is off limits. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas, this is Brainstorm. The opinions expressed are our own and do not reflect those of UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT system, or the state. Hello, and welcome back to Brainstorm Decoding Depression. My name is Katherine Forbes. Hi, and I'm Maduka Trevetti. I am the director of the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care, and very happy to be back for this episode of Brainstorm and excited for our guest today. Today, we are joined by Marcelina Melvin. MALPC to discuss disparities in communities of color, the research, and the public policy initiatives that work to improve our mental health care system. Marcy Melvin has years of experience as a licensed professional counselor and is the deputy director of the Hackett Center, a regional center of Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Marcy's impressive and extensive work focuses on advancing health equity and reducing disparities. Thank you so much, Marcy, for joining us today for this important discussion. Something we're adding to our podcast are two really simple but important questions. First, why should I care about this topic? And what's in it for me? Me meaning our listeners. I love the disclaimer that you guys give at the very beginning. I'm like, I should walk around and have that disclaimer every time (laughs) I open my mouth, right? (laughs) Like the views that I'm about to express are purely mine. Um, Well, I think it's important that before we continue, we need to level set. We need to make sure that as we're having this conversation about health equity and health disparities, that we all understand those words and what they mean. I frequently engage in conversations where people will use health equity and health disparities interchangeably when they're very different. They mean very different things. So as we're talking about health equity, we're talking about the ability for everyone to have an equal and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. That's everyone. And so when you think about health equity in those terms, then it's important because everybody wants the opportunity to be as healthy as possible. And then when we're talking about health disparities, we're actually talking about kind of the differences in access to health care and the differences in health outcomes um, between groups of groups of people. Um, and when we're we're having that conversation, I think it's really important for us to recognize that that isn't an individual issue, but instead that is a community and a societal issue, right? And the implications um, are far reaching because it goes beyond just that individual. We're talking about families, we're talking about communities. Thus, we're talking about societies. And we all live and share in that society in which we live. That's such a great point. Thank you for starting us off with that. Please share about health disparities among communities of color. Absolutely. Um, So before we we jump in and I go through some statistics and we we talk about kind of these health disparities, um, I, I need to level set again. As we're talking about communities of color, we're talking about race. And I wanna be clear that race is a social construct. 
So what does that mean? That means that race isn't real. It's made up, right? It, it isn't, there is nothing biologically different uh, in between the races. So there is nothing inherently different between groups of individuals. So when we're talking about these disparities, right, we need to understand that this isn't, these disparities don't exist because there is something uniquely different about certain groups of people. But instead, this is more of a societal issue that may be at play. So as we're, we're going to go through, I can, we're going to talk about some statistics. I can give you those numbers. And I want us to recognize that as we're listening and thinking about these numbers, that we need to be seeing this as a red flag of a much larger issue. This is not the problem, right? The percentages and these disparities is not the problem. It's a symptom of a much larger issue, but I'm sure we're gonna get into that later on, right? In, in several communities, I mean, there are disparities as it relates to access to insurance, right? So the differences between uninsured Americans that are white versus um, communities of color, there's a huge difference. Um, so our uninsured population of uh, non-Hispanic whites is only 5.9%. Uh, but when we're looking at the uninsured population of Black Americans, it's 10.6% of Hispanics. Um, it's 16.1% of Asian Americans at 7.3% and of um, American Indians and Alaskan Natives, it's 14.9%, right? So, I mean, like there are these disparities in these specific communities of color across our country. Um, and then that translates into um, other health disparities, right? Um, I think a very common one that we talk about is um, kind of when you're thinking about infant mortality uh, and, you know, like 11 infants per 1,000 um, die when we're talking about Black Americans. Uh, you know, Hispanic women are 40% more likely to have cervical cancer and 20% more likely to die from cervical cancer than non-Hispanic white women. So like th these, the statistics show that there are um, larger issues at play. Thank you. And I know it's important to get to the story behind those statistics. Mm -hmm. Dr. Trevetti, give us a little bit of background in that story. What does research say? So I think the way the way see, see I'm not a social, social sociologist I'm a medical scientist and a researcher and a clinician and I think one of the major things about and Marcy thank you for highlighting the difficulties and the disparities one of the things I think the way I see it is really often it is about lack of knowledge lack of information 30 years back there was another disparity. Women were not being diagnosed with heart disease because we did not have the knowledge that, that women can actually have similar rates of heart disease. Now that we know that, it has begun to change. I think we have to do the same thing, similar thing for race, ethnicity groups, because there's a huge disparity. Imagine if you are a 29-year-old black male or a 29-year-old white male and have bipolar disorder. 
it is very likely that the 29-year-old bipolar white male is going to get a mood stabilizer like lithium that is safe and effective. And a 29-year-old black male is going to get an antipsychotic, which is still safe, and yet it has a lot of side effects. That is because of lack of knowledge. And so this is really what I think drives the disparity. But the statistics are really stark. Studies have shown that while lifetime prevalence of depression is higher for non-Hispanic white Americans, 18% as opposed to 10% for African-Americans, there are differences in the length and the severity of the disease. African-Americans almost 20% more likely to experience higher long-term illness as opposed to white Americans of their depression and report more and severe sort of disability associated with it. African-American teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than white teenagers, 9.68% versus 6.1%. That should actually stop us all in our tracks. That means it is a third of more black American teenagers are attempting suicide than white Americans. So I think this is the kind of thing, 16% of people who identify as Caribbean or African American report having a mental illness in the last year, 16%. Just stop. And so you can think about it. One in five people you know will have depression sometime in the last year. And there is now a lot of attention being paid to how broken our health, mental health systems are, both in primary care for the early identification and later in severe persistently mentally ill. And the rise of bipolar disorder is same between <clears throat> rates are same between African-American and non-Hispanic white Americans. And yet the under diagnosis of bipolar disorder in African-Americans, which is why they get antipsychotics is a big challenge. So there are huge disparity problems that are, that are clearly evident from data. I think the biggest really task for us and hopefully we'll get into it today is what do we do about it? Because I don't think that we need to continue to regurgitate that it's a big problem. Our real solutions about what are we going to do is really why, <clears throat> Marcy, I'm very excited you're on to the Hackett Center. That we may, we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about what we do at the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Because I think the only way to solve the problem of darkness is to actually get light get information, get data, get science. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, I love that example, Dr. Trevetti, that you gave about, you know, the difference in treating heart disease between women and men and that, that um, inaccurate knowledge that our medical providers were operating from, um, which reminded me of, um, of a news release that was put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics in May of this year, where the American Academy of Pediatrics called for an elimination of race-based medicine that they were currently still utilizing. That, you know, I mean, so this is the information that is being taught in our medical schools, where based on, you know, their calculations and based on race, um, determines how, you know, different treatments that would occur. Now I'm going to go back to one of the statements I made previous, which is race is a social construct. So if race is a social construct, 
um, you know, it should be alarming and concerning to us that we are still having algorithms in place on how to treat individuals based on their race. Right. So, you know, we can talk about some of the issues as it relates to kind of stigma and, you know, um, looking at, well, you have individuals from communities that may be hesitant to go out and seek care. And at the same time, we have our medical system that is being trained to treat individuals from different racial backgrounds differently. And so I, I think that's part of the conversation that we need to have. There's a need for there to be this conversation, which can be uncomfortable, um, to happen at multiple levels. There's a need for us to really reevaluate what is happening in our training facilities, right? What's happening? How are we training our physicians? How are we training our clinicians in order that we're able to deliver services that are gonna be effective? Um, and so, you know, to your point, I love that you pointed out, Dr. Trevetti, kind of, you know, depending on your race and the symptomology, you may receive very different medications. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, what we understand is when you you're looking at young black um, males in school, they're going to be more likely to be diagnosed as, you know, with some type of externalizing behavioral disorder, as opposed to anxiety and or depression, which may be a much more accurate diagnosis. And so we really need to make sure that you know, we're looking at those statistics and those statistics, when we're seeing those disparities, we see that as a red flag for us to dig deeper and understand. And I think it goes back to the need. I, I love this whole concept of we need to shine light on a situation, but that means addressing um, the institutions and not just looking at the individuals that are suffering. And tell us what the Hackett Center is doing to address these issues. Absolutely. So the Hackett Center for Mental Health, um, you know, we really have three primary pillars. And so our first pillar is um, early childhood. And we look at early childhood as a preventative measure for mental health issues, right? So if you think about it, we can't stop bad things from happening. We can't. I can't tell you that we can have a child and you can protect that child and no bad things will ever happen to that child. However, with, you know, if we're looking at high quality um, childcare, we're looking at really optimizing that brain development in those early ages, then what we can do is set the stage as a protective factor in order that that child then has the ability and the resources to be able to manage and cope when adverse life occurrences do happen. Um, another huge um, pillar for the Hackett Center is um, health equity. So making sure that as just like we're having this conversation now, that we're looking at the data, we're looking at the statistics. And when we see these disparities that exist, we understand that it is a symptom of something larger that we need to really dig into to try and understand what's going on. 
And then finally, really looking at promoting high quality evidence-based mental health care services. Um, and so, you know, we have a trauma and grief center that really works to promote that. Um, and there are other initiatives that we work on. I hear evidence-based care all the time at the CDRC, which ties into the work that Dr. Trevetti is doing. And I know that Dr. Trevetti is really big on providing a vocabulary um, to improve stigma. Dr. Trevetti, can you speak to that? Uh, I, I think that, again, I keep on going back to this whole issue of stigma is just trying to give people information and knowledge. So what we do is really actually not wait for people to have a problem and come to the ivory tower. We have really connected with the community. So we have advisory boards and stakeholder boards with patient groups, community leaders, parents, et cetera. So that's one. The second part is we have networks in schools. So we do a lot of work in schools, prevention, early identification, early intervention, because most of medicine actually knows this better than we do in psychiatry. If you wait for stage four breast cancer, your outcomes are not good. I mean, my grandmother actually can do a better job of identifying that problem than I can. So that's a fact. And we in psychiatry and mental health have a habit of waiting until it is too late. And that is the first part of reducing stigma, not wait so that every person should be screened for depression every year. And if they're not, so we work with primary care pediatric practice we work in schools to introduce prevention and resilience building programs, and then do a lot of community education. So that's a multi-pronged final. And the core of what why we exist is we also do research. And, and people ask me all the time, is it biology? Is it sociology? Is it social determinants? This kind of debate doesn't happen in medicine. Nobody says in diabetes that is it really biology or is it so is it diet? They know it's both. It's all of it, right? So it is a, when you have a mental health problem, it is a brain that is not functioning. But there are many factors that lead to it. Some genetics, but most often it is how early life trauma, how the brain develops during your teenage years, and then. What happens to that brain when, depending on social connectedness and social determinants of health, it really, whether your symptoms persist, you get better, et cetera, has a lot of multifactorial things. And we have to address the whole person, not just one thing. Thank you for that, Dr. Trevetti. Marcy, can you add to this and also share to us the importance of language in this conversation? Absolutely. Um, when talking about um, equity, I think we have to be very careful and know that we have to use very precise language. Um, the reality is uh, currently we live in a political environment in which words are weaponized and health equity has actually been weaponized. Um, often, you know, it's been used interchangeably with CRT when they mean two entirely different things. So I think that it's very important that we are very precise and direct and deliberate with the language that we're using. As we're having the conversation and as the listeners have been listening to the dialogue, I'm not sure if they've noticed, but as I'm talking about um, Black individuals in America, I am calling them Black individuals in America. Um, as Dr. Trevetti uses the terminology African-American. Um, and I think it's really important that when we're talking about communities of color, that we really look to those communities 
communities. And one, we're very specific about who the community is that we're talking about, and we're not doing blanket statements, right? So if we're talking about a very specific group, whether it is Hispanic Americans or um, the American Indian and Native um, Alaskans, we're very specific about that language and that we invite individuals in those communities to let us know how do they self-identify and how do they define themselves. So as a Black woman, I call myself a Black woman, right? I don't refer to myself as African-American. So I think it's really important that we you know, are very precise with our language and that we bring those communities into the conversation as we're talking to them. I, th I think the, the, the key issue that you brought is not even bring the community to the conversation, go to the community where the conversation should happen. And I mm -hmm. think that is what has often been missing. So I, uh, you know, thank you for bringing up the vocabulary issue. It's really twofold. One is vocabulary, but the other is go to where the people are mm -hmm. rather than bring them to some new form, foreign place. Uh, and I think that, thank you for that. Thank you so much for that and for sharing that language is so important. In season one, we spoke about the Lone Star Prize, which the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute in partnership with the CDRC and Harvard Medical School received. Dr. Trivedi, tell us more about the Lone Star Prize and its components. So the Lone Star Prize is really a very exciting uh, project because it is uh, funded through a very rigorous competitive process that the Lida Hill Philanthropies organized across with really several layers of review. And uh, we were competing with people who were going to change the world or change water or climate, et cetera. So I am so excited they chose mental health. The really the what prize is called Lone Star Depression Challenge. Our idea was that we have for the longest time only focused on crises and later in disease. So therefore, what our primary core idea is that we will engage health systems across the state to improve their universal screening for depression, identify people as soon as they can so that the normal 10 to 12 year delay can be avoided, you introduce evidence-based, measurement-based care so that we, it is remarkable, and I'll talk about it in a minute, but if you use measurement-driven care, your outcomes can be 10 times better than otherwise in collaborative care and engage the entire health system, not just a few people, and change the way depression is treated in the state of Texas. And that is the goal. So that is the major issue. We have begun the process with Baylor, Scott and White, Methodist uh, health systems are coming online. John Peter Smith is next. We are going to go expand so that Lubbock is doing it at Texas Tech. Uh, and the idea is every patient is universally screened for depression. If they have screen positive, then a prospective proactive diagnosis is made and they are then provided evidence-based care so that every patient that really takes care of health equity issues also, because then, because if it is universal, then it is not done one place, but not the others. Uh, so we are very excited to be partnering with the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute on that. Uh, it is the core of my work. My life's work is to say, please don't wait for a crisis because that is not the way to deal with mental health. Exactly. And there's such important work being done here. I know our listeners appreciate hearing about it. Marcy, we know the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute works very closely with the government. 
Tell us a little about how the state can impact these mental health outcomes. Absolutely. As a nonpartisan data-driven institute, one of the things that we really rely upon is data and statistics to help inform and influence the work that we're doing. Um, and so one of the reasons that we you know, have promoted and pushed for collaborative care is because the research and the data suggests that it helps to reduce those health disparities. I think what's really important is that we're able to look at um, when we're analyzing data and we see that there are these disparities that exist, that we understand that that isn't just at an individual level or that's not an individual issue, but instead we need to look at the structures that may be in place that may be uh, promoting and creating those disparities. Marcy, at the end of our episodes, we like to ask our guests a question in your personal and professional opinion, what do you think is the biggest misunderstanding about mental health? So this is where I would do my disclaimer of the, these. <laughs> this is the words and the opinion of Marcy. And I think the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest disclaimer is that um, mental health can only be treated in that traditional, and I'm using air quotes, traditional model of you have an individual who have symptoms and then there's either a physician or a therapist that then treats that individual and that's how that individual gets better. I think that's the biggest misconception. That's not how things work. One, um, we work in community. We live in community, right? So if you have an individual that's struggling, that individual lives in a family and that family system needs to be brought into the conversation. That family lives in a community and that community need to be a part of that conversation. And so, um, and then when we're thinking about um, mental health, it's so much more than just that traditional um, that traditional kind of mindset, that traditional kind of plan. Um, there are so many things that can be healing. There is healing in community. There is healing that can take place within families. And so I think, you know, if, if that, that would be my parting words is that we have to think beyond um, just this psychodynamic model which is what people think about when you say mental health, which is why collaborative care is so powerful because it helps to identify those symptoms very early on in what can be a much more natural setting for, uh, you know, for individuals, like just going into to a regular doctor's checkup. That can be very natural as opposed to allowing the symptoms to escalate as Dr. Trevetti had mentioned earlier. Thank you. And you just gave us so much important information. If there's one thing you want to be sure to get across before we sign off that you didn't just tell us, what would that message be? It would be, we have to come together and we heal in communities. So even if you are struggling with mental health issues, reaching out to someone, whether it is a family member, whether it is a friend, um, but reaching out and bringing someone into a conversation, right? Um, if you have a family member or a friend that you are concerned with, then you being the one to reach out to them. And speaking of reaching out, where can our listeners reach out to you if they have any questions or want to help? Absolutely. So um, if we have individuals that are struggling with any kind of mental health 
um, concerns, you know, there's that new nine, um, 988 number, 988 that people can call. Um, and if there's any questions for me specifically, um, you know, my email is mmelvin at mmhpi.org. Excellent. And Dr. Trevetti, do you have any final parting words? I think this was a wonderful uh, discussion. And I think that this uh, this idea of figuring out how to be responsive as mental health experts, mental health providers for the whole population and not right, divide our approaches to in different ways is really the solution. Uh, I think that we have to be proactive and not wait for a problem to occur because that then becomes too late. Marcy, we can't thank you enough for the work that you do and for bringing everything you have to the table with us today. That's it for this episode of Brainstorm Decoding Depression with your hosts from the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Be sure to follow us on social media at UTSW underscore CDRC so you don't miss our episode announcements. If you have suggestions for topics or questions you'd like answered, you can email us at decodingdepressionpodcast at utsouthwestern.edu. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.